pastors here at Freshwater. So thankful everybody is here today. So thankful to see um, all of you. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, John chapter 17. John chapter 17. That's right there kind of towards the beginning of your New Testament. That's where we're going to end up starting today. Starting today. So if you weren't here last week or you didn't get to make it, this weekend we did a chili cook-off and a coat drive at John B. Hughes. And so if you don't know what John B. Hughes is, it's an apartment complex that way, about a half a mile in Tom Watkins' neighborhood, the neighborhood that we planted this church in to serve. And so John B. Hughes is a place um, that's wonderful, and there's tons of great things about John B. Hughes, and there's a ton of darkness in John B. Hughes. And we've had the opportunity through getting to know a lot of the management and stuff, and through Corey, um, just getting to know a lot of people there recently. And um, let me just tell you, um, yesterday for the chili cook-off, Christy and I had something going on in the afternoon. Um, we had something going on with the leaders, and I, was re- I, I didn't sleep well, and I was really tired, and it was really, really cold, and I didn't want to go. Can, can, we're just going to be real, right? Like, I didn't, I didn't want to go, but I'm the pastor. I had to go, right? And if I wasn't the pastor, I probably still would have went, but it would have been much more begrudging, but I just knew I had to go. And I'm not exaggerating. Like, Kathleen, wasn't it just an amazing time? Not only was it an amazing time, like it was the kind of day that you, you, for me at least, that you pray for. Because this was a much, this wasn't a big event, right? We had a coat drive outside, and then in a room not much bigger than like these chairs right here, a little bit bigger than that, but not much bigger. We had chili, and people were coming in. We were all together. And of all people, I sat down with a 65-year-old lady, and we talked for like 45 minutes or an hour. And I, I got to hear about like a lot of her life. She was just so open about her life and her faith and how, how distant she's been from the church and how she needs to get back to church. And I, I mean, I had that conversation like, listen, I'm not trying to recruit you to any church, but I can just ask you, do you think church is important? Um, and she's like, yeah. I'm like, well, why? Right? I just want to, I'm just curious. And we got in a conversation about the church and about Jesus and about the gospel and about why God wants us to be a part of his bride, the church, and why. And like yesterday, like, um, I think that happened with like five or six different conversations in the room and four or five people, like, we didn't really ask them to come to Freshwater. They're like, man, we really want to come soon. And you can just tell, like, particularly people that, that come from a place where they haven't been in church in a long time. I think I've said this before. You're going to have conversations with people. Some people aren't going to be open to those kind of conversations at all. And that's okay. They're just not ready to hear it, right? Then you have some people that just kind of placate you, and you talk, and they talk, and you have a good conversation. And then some people, it's just different. And whether or not anybody we talk to at the coat drive, at the chili thing, come to Freshwater or not, um, Tracy can attest to this too, right? She was there. There were three or four people that I know for sure wanted to. And I know for sure between them wanting to and between Sunday morning or next Sunday morning, the enemy's going to come in and try to convince them why they shouldn't be here. But in that moment, you get, I got to see the Holy Spirit work. Church, these are the moments that we're trying to work towards. We're going to do big events. Because through big events, people get to know what Freshwater is and what we're trying to do. And they get to know the love of God. But we also need these smaller personal things where we have the bravery to sit down next to a 65-year-old woman. That was not my target audience, to be honest. My, my target audience was anybody, right? But I didn't think a 66-year-old woman was who I was going to sit down and talk with for an hour. But we had the best time. It was like, this wasn't forced. This wasn't me trying to recruit her to Jesus or anything else. But I love Jesus. And I could tell the way she was talking. She needs the hope of Christ and the church in her life. So it was just so easy for me to talk about. Now, I wasn't trying to force anything into the conversation. It just kind of came up because she was talking about her life and I was talking about my life. And there it was. And there was like five or six conversations that happened that day. Church, this is what we're trying to get to. This is what we're going to try to recapture going into next year as as we find ways to engage in a neighborhood 
and kind of rebuild what we've been doing in the neighborhood and listen, and in our own neighborhoods, in our own circles, so that people might not just hear a gospel presentation, but might know the love of God that transforms hearts and minds. Amen? And so just keep praying. Here's what I want you to do. As if, for those of you who are new, that you weren't here a couple weeks ago when I talked about this, we're basically having to rebuild everything in Tom Watkins. The Tom Watkins Neighborhood Association is gone. Community Partnerships, the Ozarks, is gone. Some of our church partnerships from the past after COVID, they're just gone. We're kind of rebuilding. But listen, if we can rebuild on this foundation, we already have these relationships. We already have the wisdom and the know-how that we've done it once. We can do it again. Church, I'm just, I am pumped to see where God's going to take us next year. And I say next year because it's starting to get cold. Not a lot's going on when it's cold. But by the time it gets warm again, April next year, I want our hearts and our minds ready for whatever God's going to have for us. So just be praying that God would open whatever door needs to be opened, whatever person of peace we need to meet, whatever, however we, whatever we're going to do. We're going to make this much more clear going into next year, right? We're going to pray and God's going to answer. But be praying with us that God will give us the opportunity to take his light into the dark places. Amen? Amen. Okay. So, getting all worked up. Um, i got to be careful what I say. We had a meeting yesterday, and people made fun of me for all my JT-isms. I kind of brought it on myself, so now I'm like, what I can't say. I can't say this is my favorite passage, because they're all my favorite passage. I can't say, listen to me, church. Okay, so, um, anyway. Um, so, this week, if you haven't been with us, we've been walking through the Gospel of John verse by verse. We've been in the Gospel of John for... 52 weeks now, officially a year, with some, with some sermons in between, right? We've been in the Gospel of John for a year. And, and this week is actually a really big deal, because this is our very last passage before Jesus is betrayed and arrested. Like, we really are at the end. We are at the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. Chapter 18, he gets arrested by the chief priest's officers. He gets betrayed by Judas. And so where we're ending this week is in, we started the last couple weeks, is in what a lot of people call Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. A lot of people call it his high priestly prayer. Again, if you weren't here last week, because what the priests did in the Old Testament is they were the mediators between God and man, right? They went to God on behalf of mankind. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing here. As our high priest, he is going to God on our behalf, praying to the Father so that we might know who he is and who we are in him. And it's just this beautiful passage. When I, when I say, don't laugh, Kayla, you can't laugh. When I say this is one of my favorite passages, I, I've got like a hundred of them. I know, like I just love the word of God, but like this is, there's something so beautiful, so intimate about seeing Jesus's prayer to his father and us being invited into that. His really, his last prayer, other than the garden, his last prayer that we get to, to really read and to see, it's this amazing thing. And so last week we saw Jesus pray and ask his father to protect the disciples, um, to keep his disciples, meaning that they have already believed in Jesus Christ, but they're about to go through something unbelievably difficult, something they can't even understand yet, the arrest, the betrayal, the, the death, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They're not ready. He's been trying to prepare them, but they're still not ready. They still don't understand how bad this is going to be. So he's asking the Father, keep them. Like, keep their faith strong. Keep them from the, from the attacks of the enemy that are going to come. Keep them together. And I was just going to kind of sum it up for you, but I want us to read it, right? So I'm going to go back and I'm going to read our text from last week. So if you haven't turned there already, turn to John 17. And the first five verses is really Jesus crying out to the Father on his behalf about glorifying the Father as the Father glorifies him. But I want us to start in verse 6. We're going to read through verse 16. This is what we, what we talked about last week. 
Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, Judas, that scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Okay, so we're going to stop there for a second. So last week, Jesus prays to his father, keep them, right? Protect them, protect their face, protect them from the attacks of the enemy. And then I don't know if you saw it, Jesus said two really kind of interesting things. He says, Father, um, I ask these things first so that my joy may be fulfilled in them which is something we talked about last week, like how crazy it is that one of the things that Jesus wants most for us by abiding in him is that his joy would be in us and that our joy in him would be full. No matter what, like these guys are about to go through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and he's saying, I want them to know me, to have the truth and be in them so their joy might be full even in this thing. Right? Anyone that tells you that like, God, if he loves you, doesn't, doesn't, won't ever allow you to suffer is a liar. They're just a liar. They're not preaching the word of God. But God, he's not saying you're not going to suffer if you know him. He's saying even in the suffering, I am with you. I am for you. And even I am pouring out my joy and my love into you. So we spent a a lot of time last week talking about how Christ wants his joy to be fulfilled in you. And that's a beautiful thing. So that was one of the things that points he made last week. And he spent a lot of time in. And then two. The other kind of beautiful thing he said, it's in verse 11, he actually prayed, Father, keep them in your name that they might be one, even as we are one. This really finished, this passage, if you know, it's really finished with Jesus talking about how the disciples are not of the world. Even though they live in the world, even though they're being sent to the world in Jesus Christ, they are not of the world. They're sent into the world, but they are set apart from the world. And that's something we're going to be talking about today. Another word for set apart means to be sanctified, to be sanctified. Jesus is going to ask the Father to sanctify his disciples, but not just so that they, as we're, and, and through them we, might be clean before God, but so that they might be sanctified for a very specific purpose, or I'd say for very specific purposes. That's what we're going to be talking about today the purpose that the disciples and through them us have been sanctified for. So with that, let's read again. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we're going to come back and look at just a few verses. So we're going to start this time in verse 17 of chapter 17. I want to read through the end of Jesus' prayer, and then we're going to come back and look at it verse by verse. 17, verse 17. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself 
that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but, but also for those who will believe in me through their, their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, even, love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that, that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that, that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Man, what a beautiful passage. What a beautiful prayer by Jesus Christ. So here's what I want to do. I want to go back. I want to read verses 17 through 19 one more time, and then we're going to talk about them for a little while. 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Okay, so Jesus asked the Father to sanctify them in the truth. If you don't know this, the Old Testament was primarily written in Greek. And the Greek word here um, for sanctify is the word hagiazo. I think I said it right, right? Hagiazo. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I think I got it right. And it's used 28 times in the New Testament. And and the reason I say that is I I want you to see in almost every occasion, it's used basically in the exact same way. And it means to be set apart as holy, right? Sanctify, to be set apart as holy. Another way to say that would be to say consecrated for the Lord. In fact, the same word that it uses, sanctify, when Jesus says, I consecrate myself, it's the exact same Greek word. It's translated differently here, so we get a picture, but it means the same thing. It's the same word, to be consecrated, to be set apart as holy before the Lord. It's the same language. It's not the exact same word because it's Hebrew in the Old Testament, but it's the same language that was used in the Old Testament when Aaron consecrated his sons to be the Levitical priests, right? The priesthood that would represent um, man before God. That was their job to represent, to be the mediators between God and man. When they, when they set apart those Levitical priests, they were consecrated to the Lord. They were set apart as holy. Even the sacrifices in the Old Testament, you know, in the Old Testament, the sacrifices that they would sacrifice so that their sins could be forgiven, so their sins could be covered over, those sacrifices were consecrated, right? They were set apart as holy so they could represent Um, on God's behalf, the covering of our sins, a sacrifice for our sins. That's the same language being used here, set apart as holy. Now, a lot of times for your church people in particular, when you hear the word sanctified, you think of the continual work that Jesus Christ is doing in our lives to sanctify us, to make us more like him. We call that sanctification. And that's not wrong. That's true. And I think this is, in part, means that, right? In part, it means that. But the Bible also communicates very clearly that sanctification is a one-time event. Did you know that? We use the language of the process of becoming more like Christ as sanctification. Yes and amen. That's actually true. But it's also a one-time event. Javi, can we get 1 Corinthians 6.11? Do you have that up there? No, it's not working? Okay. So you can turn there if you want, but I'll read it to you. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says this. And such were some of you. He's talking about people who were sinners, who didn't know Jesus. And such were some of you, but you were 
washed, right? You hear that past tense. You were washed. You were made clean by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. You were washed. You were sanctified. Were sanctified. You were justified. Again, justification being a one-time event, salvation in Jesus Christ, being made right before the Lord. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So although we are being transformed in the image of Christ, we also have already been set apart as his children. We've already been set apart as his family. We have already been justified and saved and consecrated for the Lord's work. That is a one-time thing. And I think that's mostly what Jesus is talking about here. This one-time thing. They are being sanctified in the truth. Now, this process for the disciples is not quite over yet, right? He says they've already believed the words of Jesus, meaning who he is and he's sent by the Lord, but they're not going to be fully sanctified. They're not going to fully understand until after the cross and resurrection, right? They're still in that waiting period when, when they've been made holy because of their belief, but after Jesus dies, God has been telling them, you will fully understand the truth after I have resurrected. That's what he's been trying to tell. After the Spirit comes, you will remember everything that I taught you and it will all become clear. So when it says he will sanctify them in the truth, I think it's the truth of the, the cross and the resurrection. It's the truth of the gospel. They'll finally truly be set apart and be ready to be sent into the world. So this passage says two amazing things. First, that Jesus has sanctified the disciples with the truth, meaning he has manifested, as verse 6 said, he's already manifested God to them about the truth that he's been sent by him, by the Father. So now because of their belief in Christ, they have been set apart they have been consecrated, and after the gospel, they are going to be ready to move forward. They're going to be ready to move forward. So in part, verse 18 shows us that they have been set apart, and now they're ready to be sent into the world, but not be of the world, be sent as Jesus was sent to us. The second thing, the second thing here that Jesus is, is once again hinting at is that he's going to the cross. Jesus says, I consecrate myself. Right, showing us that, listen, he's pointing to the cross here. Remember how we talked about in the Old Testament, this word consecrate, set apart, points to the Levitical priests that were set apart, points to the sacrifice that was consecrated to pay for our sins. Jesus is at the same time the one who consecrated himself so that he could be our high priest, our mediator before God. He is our perfect sacrifice so that we don't have to continue to make sacrifices. He is the holy, righteous, set apart, consecrated sacrifice for God to pay for all of our sins once and for all. So this is also pointing forward to what Jesus is about to accomplish. And I love how he says, I consecrate myself. Jesus has been saying over and over, I was sent by the Father, and I obey the Father. I do the will of the Father. Yes, and amen to that. But this also shows, so he is obeying and going to the cross, but it also shows that the Father didn't force Jesus into anything. Jesus chose this path. He is willingly walking this path because he loves you. He is the consecrated priest and sacrifice that is going to make all of these things right sent to the world while not being of the world so he might save the world. Again, it's what he sends his disciples to, isn't it? He sends his disciples to the world while not being of the world because they have the saving message that the world needs. But here's what I think. I think Jesus is not asking the Father to sanctify them, to set them apart just so that they can be sent into the world. That's a piece of it, right? That's a part of it. But what we're going to see from the rest of the passage is Christ is asking this of the Father, sanctify them in the truth for a couple very specific reasons. And I think these are the reasons that we're going to really lock in on today. So read with me in verse 20. We'll read through verse 23 again. It 
John chapter 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me, in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. What a line right there, that you loved them. The Father loves us just as he has loved Christ. Just as he has loved Christ. If you remember last week, I said that this prayer was not intended just for the disciples, right, at the moment. It was absolutely for the disciples. They needed this prayer. They heard this prayer. He intended it to be, be for them in this prayer, but, but it was not meant only for them. He says, I, I pray for the disciples, but not only them. I ask these things also for those who will believe. And so Jesus has been asking things of the Father, and it's all really, if you look at the prayer, it's all kind of culminating into what he's saying here at the end. And so he's saying, I'm asking these things, Father. I've been asking these things, not just for them, but all of those who will believe. Listen, the gospel was spread through the disciples, and then the disciples that made disciples that made disciples were all sitting here today because the disciples took the message of the gospel, and the message kept going forth, and so now we're sitting here today. Jesus was praying for his disciples, yes and amen. They needed it in this moment. But listen, he was also praying for you. He was also praying for his future church because he knew we would need these words also. So all of the, in this passage, we've read it all or most of it today. There's many things that Jesus is praying for and many things he's trying to say to his disciples. He's trying to say through this prayer. I think there's, there's two main points that he's really focusing in on really kind of the main point of this whole thing found in verses 21 through 23. He's asking the Father to protect us, to keep us, and to sanctify us for two main reasons. First one, so that we might be one. So that we might be one. Jesus started this thought back in verse 11. We read it once before when he said, Holy Father, keep them in your name that they might be one even as we are one. If you were with us, remember, if you say, keep them in my name, in, in Scripture, in the Old Testament in particular, but even in the New Testament, when he says, in my name, it means kept them in my power, kept them in my glory, kept them because I am the I am. This God's name, it represents his power, his character, his glory, right? So I have kept them in your name, in your power, in your glory, that they may be one even as we are one. Now here in verse 21, he prays, I ask these things so that all who will believe will be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Verse 22, I have given the glory that you have given to me to them. Like the glory the Father gave to Jesus, he's given to his disciples. Why? That they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 23, I in them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Another way to translate that in the Greek is to say that they may have perfect unity. How many times do you think Jesus just said one in this passage? That they may be one, that they may be one in us, and like we are one and they are one, like over and over and over. Do you think maybe if Jesus says something over and over and over to almost, like we might pay attention to it. We might take this as really, really important. 
you know, the Bible only records a couple of Jesus' actual prayers. It talks about Jesus going away and praying to his Father. It talks about Jesus' prayers a lot, but there's only two or three actually prayers that are actually recorded. And this one, in my opinion, is by far the most intimate and the most lengthy. It may be, we don't know for sure, but it might be the greatest prayer ever uttered, at least the greatest prayer ever recorded. And right at the end of his life, and Jesus' very last moments with his disciples. Like, this is it, church. This is the last things he's going to say to the Father where they can hear it, and the last things he's going to say to the Father. And this is what he is focused on, that we would be one. One with Christ, through him one with the Father, and one with each other. It feels like the whole prayer has been leading up to this. The whole prayer has been leading us to this point. I mentioned it before, but last week in verse 6, Jesus says, said, I have manifested God's name to you. I have manifested God's name to them. Again, meaning he has shown his disciples his glory, his power, his character. He, Jesus, through Jesus, we have got to see and know the I am. Jesus did that first and foremost so that we may believe, right? That's what he's after, our belief, that we might become children of God in his kingdom, Right? But you see another vital reason he showed us that he shared, he manifested, he gave us God's glory. So that, verse 22 says that, so that we might be one as he and the Father are one. He's sharing the glory of God with us. He's sharing who God is with us so that disciples like you and me, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, might be one. I'm not sure there's many things in Scripture, church, that we can take more seriously then we can take this. And it's kind of tragic that we got a lot of people attending churches this morning, maybe even here, that are treating church, as I said before, kind of like a country club. I'm going to go and I kind of get filled up and kind of have my, get, get the thing that I need today, and then I'm going to go and hopefully I'll show up next week. I'll come in and pay my dues and get my fill up. Church, does, does this sound like a country club? Does this sound like, I mean, listen, I hope you come to church and get encouraged and the Spirit moves and in and, and that way you are filled up with the Holy Spirit, like, the, like, like with God. But man, this is, not, this is not what this is talking about. This is talking about our unity with the Father through Christ and the unity we are called to because of Christ. So I think when we read a passage like this, the big question comes, the question that we have to process together is how could we possibly have this kind of unity? How could we possibly have the kind, like this is, I mean, they use the word perfect, right? How could we have this kind of unity in the church? Now, the Bible constantly talks about things like we need to be gentle and we need to be kind and we need to be forgiving and we need to show grace, and we need to be compassionate, and we need to be reasonable, and we need to seek reconciliation and love, and about 50 other one another's. We've talked about those recently, right? There's like 50 one another's, love one another, show, show honor to one another, on and on and on and on we could go, and those things are all, all really important. They teach us a ton. They're really good for us to know. We should memorize them because they're good and they're really helpful, but are the one another's how we attain this kind of unity? Are the one another's the answer to how we attain this kind of unity? Listen, I want you to hear this. No. Good church people that want to do the good thing will treat the commands in Scripture as this is how we attain this thing. Listen, they are guideposts. 
right? They are mile markers. They, they are things that guide us down the path, and they are good, and they are right. Like, listen, memorize the fruit of the Spirit. Memorize who we're supposed to be. Memorize the one another's. Yes and amen, but they're not the answer. Jesus is telling us the answer. He's telling us the answer to this kind of unity. It is through the glory that Jesus has shown to us and through his life and death and resurrection, the glory that he has placed in us. That's your answer, church. That's how we attain this kind of unity, not with the guideposts along the way. We'll get to that here in a second, but that's not how we get there. We share in that glory by sharing in the death of Jesus Christ. This is how we experience this glory that Jesus is talking about. We share in his death, right? It says that we died with Christ. Like the old self, your old self died with him so that you might be raised with him as a new person, as a new creation, washed clean of your own sin so that you might move forward in Christ. It's by abiding in the glory that has already been given to you through his life, his death, his resurrection, and now the Holy Spirit who helps you and comforts you and guides you and convicts you. This is how we attain this. Not by trying really, really hard to be good church people. I want us to be good church people, but not trying really, really hard to be good church people. Am I making any sense at all? Jesus is the one who makes this possible by transforming us from one glory to another. This is what it's talking about in Corinthians. When we are in Christ, transformed from one glory to another. That glory that it's talking about is what, what Jesus is praying here. I have given them your glory. And you know what Scripture says is the radiance of the glory of God? Jesus Christ. It's through abiding in Christ that we are transformed to be more and more like him. That sanctification we were talking about earlier, this is what real sanctification is, that you have been made holy, you have been made clean. And so because you have been made positionally clean before God, practically you can become more and more and more and more like Jesus Christ. And that was what's going to lead to unity. That's when the guideposts start becoming important. Because of what Jesus did, church, we have been invited in. This is the most important truth about you, that you have been invited in. We have been invited in to share in the blessing and the joy and the peace and the intimacy and the, listen, indescribable, eternal love, love that goes back for an eternity that the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Father. Did you hear where the passage says that this is the kind of love the Father has for you? The same love he has for the Son. This eternal, ununderstandable, depth we can never ever reach kind of love. This is the kind of love that the Father has for you through the Son. This is what we've been invited into. Church's perfect unity is not primarily driven by us striving for it. No, the most important thing, listen, by far, is understanding this unity comes by abiding in the glory, in the person, in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and then sharing in that unity, that oneness he has with the Father. That is our example. That is what we're invited into. So, here's how I want you to think differently, church. Let me rephrase that. Here's, here's how I think Christ is asking you to think differently. If someone wrongs you, you don't think, I mean, 
I'm not even talking about reacting the way the world acts, right? You're, you're above the way the world reacts, right? But let's just say you're above the way the world reacts when somebody wrongs you. And you don't immediately go to bitterness and anger and revenge and hate and all of those things that the world half the time says is okay, right? Someone wrongs you. Hear me, you don't think, well, you know what? The Bible tells me that I need to forgive. It commands me to forgive, so I should forgive. Is that true? Yes. The Bible commands that you should forgive, but is that where our heart should go first if someone wrongs us? Well, the Bible commands me to forgive, so I should forgive. No, if you're abiding in Christ, by abiding the thought should be something like Christ has forgiven me for so, so, so much. If he has forgiven me, and he just continues to forgive me, and I know what I've done, I know what I've thought, I know the things that I've said to people. If he can forgive me, then I can forgive them. That's abiding. That is being in Christ, thinking of Christ, and doing what Christ would do because he has already done it for you. Abide. If someone frustrates you, your first thought is not, oh, man, I need to be more patient. Man, I need to be more kind, which you do, and so do I. But through abiding, it's, man, Jesus has suffered so much for me. He has long suffered through my mistakes and my failures again and again and again and again. I know what I deserve, but he is not giving me what I deserve. So maybe, even if, maybe if it even means me suffering a little, I can show patience and I can show kindness because that's what Christ has done for me a thousand, thousand times. Maybe I can do that because he's done it for me. He's shown me the way. If you have something against someone and it's not harboring bad feelings and thinking, why should I be the one that goes and tries to fix this? Like, they're the one that did the injustice to me. It's not my fault. They're the one that hurt me. But by abiding, it's, it's thinking, listen, Jesus sought me out so that I could be reconciled to God. I didn't seek Jesus out. He sought me out so that I could be reconciled to him. He came to me, but he, he didn't just come to me. He came to me in the mess so that I could be made right, so that I could be made whole. No matter who started the offense, maybe I could not focus on what is deserved for them or what I deserve. Maybe I could focus on grace and mercy as Christ is, has for me, and I could go to them in love and seek to reconcile this thing with my brother and sister because I can do that for them even if they don't deserve it because that's what Christ did for me when I didn't deserve it. Church, a lot of times we start with how the world reacts to things, don't we? We still all do that. Something goes wrong, something goes bad, some, someone does something. We still react the way the world reacts. And then we grow. And we begin to respond more in the way that the Bible tells us. And we, 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 tr- we actually strive to respond in the way that Bible says the Bible says is good things. So we try really hard to be more patient. And we try really hard to forgive. And listen, that's a good step in the right direction, isn't it? To go from like bitterness and anger and resentment and getting back at people and revenge and talking bad about them and gossiping and building teams against them and recruiting family against them and all the things that the world does, right? So it's good that you're like, no, no, I need to try to be patient and gentle. I need to try to forgive. Yes, I mean, that's a good step, but church, 
This is where, what we're talking about now, this is where spiritual maturity is actually found. What we are talking about now, this is where real growth is found. When we realize, when we understand that all of this truly comes, all these things really start to happen when we, ab- when we abide in Christ. And how abiding in Christ, living in Christ, living for Christ, having what he did always in our hearts and minds, letting that inform everything. Inform everything. It's not keeping track of wrongs. Because Christ has not kept track of your wrongs. It's picking others up and loving them really well, even if they aren't ready to do the same thing for you. They're not there yet. They're not ready to pick you up. You can pick them up. It's using the gifts that God gave you to build your brothers and sisters up in love, not because you have to, but because Christ through the Holy Spirit does that for you every single day. And by a daily abiding in Christ and the truth of him, you'll be right where you need to be because he'll be there guiding you through this. And even when you mess it up, they're reminding you and convicting you of how to do it, how he would do it. Church, I don't know if you're seeing it this way, but I think this is why Jesus is praying that they would be of the world why they would be in the world while not being of the world, yet still sent to the world. The world does not react this way to these things, right? This, listen, the way that we are called to react, the way the Bible is describing, the way Jesus responded to things, dying for his enemies, that is upside down. That is upside down from the world. That's why sometimes people call the kingdom of God the upside down kingdom, right? The first will be last and the last will be first. That is upside down. The world does not value the person that intentionally comes in last to serve other people. That's what Christ did. That's what he's calling to you, to be a part of his upside down kingdom. I said last week that this just seems impossible, this kind of unity that this is talking about. A group, with, a group of people with different backgrounds coming from different cultures and different cities and different political ideas and different social ideas, and to be honest, a thousand different opinions on a thousand different things. How could we ever truly be united, much less perfectly united? And I'll be honest, man, it's just humanly impossible. In the long term, it's humanly impossible. But Jesus is in the business of doing the impossible. Flip back to John 15. John 15, we're in John 17. Just flip back real quick. I don't know if you remember this, but basically from chapter 13 on, 13 through 17, is Jesus' last moments with his disciples. From 13 on, he's not doing public ministry anymore. He's guiding his disciples to what life is going to be after him. And in John 15, verse 4, John 15, verse 4, he says this. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch, that's you, cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I in the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do Nothing. You can do nothing. Church, perfect unity like this, truly being one in the church, listen, 
is impossible without the vine. It's what it's saying here. It's impossible without the vine. But in him, by abiding in him, we can, we will bear the fruit of the kingdom. We will and we can and will do the impossible. And particularly in this, for this is the kind of thing he's talking about. Listen, this kind of harmony, this kind of unity, this kind of oneness is the fruit of the kingdom of God. This is what God wants. It is not possible for us, but it is possible in Jesus Christ because we're the branches. He's the vine. He, through the Holy Spirit, he will feed us what we need to be healthy, to be bound together, to let all of that stuff go and be focused in on him and be perfectly one with each other. And once we get that, once, church, once that really takes root in us, then almost, it seems, the endless passages about loving each other and being kind and gentle and all the other one another's, then they really start to come to life. And they don't seem like a burden we have to carry, but guideposts that guide us to Jesus Christ and a love in his church, and they become a joy. Somebody wrote me a thank you note for a leader thing. And, and one of the things they said one of their favorite things, I'm going to say this. This is, I'm just going to say it, right? It's going to sound prideful, but you're going to hear about why it's not at all. So one of the, their favorite things about my leadership is that I can hear when I'm wrong and listen and make a change. Now, here's what's so beautiful about that. Before I was serious about my faith, I could never be wrong. I could never admit my faults. I could never show weakness to people because I was so afraid if people really knew the weak boy that was inside of me, they would no longer see me in the, in the same way. I was so scared what was going to happen if people really knew how weak I really was. But Jesus Christ radically changed me. I don't do this perfectly. Pride still tries to get me. I'm like all of us, right? None, none of us do this perfectly. But, but for someone to say that I can hear when I mess up and make changes and repent of those things and move forward, that is the work of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, it brought me so much joy. It brings me joy to think that, listen, I can hear from a brother in, or sister in Christ, hear what they say, make a change, and then grow. It doesn't feel like a burden. It feels like a joy because through them, I'm going to know Jesus Christ more. I'm going to grow to be more like him. I'm going to move from one glory to another because I can't see my blind spots, but my brothers and sisters can. And together we are going to be more. That is joy. And that happens by abiding in Christ and what he has done, not what I'm striving really hard on my own to do. Are we seeing the difference here? This is what he's calling you to. So then all of these passages about loving one another become a joy as we pursue each other together because Jesus Christ is pursuing us. It all starts to become so much more real, and this idea of being perfectly one becomes so much more possible. All right, so you may have forgotten this, but I said there seem to be two reasons that Jesus is praying for the Father to keep us, to protect us and sanctify us. The first was so that we might be one, and the second, so that the world might know Jesus Christ and his love. No slides, Javi? We have John? Okay, give me a second. This is not a new thing for Jesus to be focused on. Do we have John 13? Okay, we're going to turn our Bibles because it's in John. Turn to John 13. I should have just done this the first time anyway. John 13. We're going to look at the verses 34 and 35. John 13, verse 34. 
Again, this is still within that, this last moment of Jesus with his disciples. John 13, 34 says this. Highlight it. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And here it is. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. How do we find unity in the church? Love. Love for God. Love for each other. Turn over to John 15. Look at verse 17. John 15, verse 17. These things, John, about the vine, about following God's commands, about, about love, all of these things, all, all these things I command you in verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. And then we get to our passage today in John 17, in verse 21, Jesus asks these things and asks for unity in the church so that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 23, that they may be perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Are you seeing this, church? Love that drives our love for God and our love for each other that drives us to unity is a way that God is going to show his love and who he is to the world. Church, how many people have been driven from church or even from Christ because this kind of unity in the church wasn't just not there, but what they found was judge, judgmental, hateful Christians. Conversation yesterday at John B. Hughes. I've had, actually had this conversation th- two or three times in the last week of people who had something awful happen at church and they haven't been back since. Now, here's, I'm just going to share the reality. People who aren't saved are not going to churches because of church people. They're not going to churches because of their sin. They're not following Jesus Christ because of their sin, and they like their way more than they want to follow the king's way. That's why people are not giving their lives to Jesus Christ. But how powerful a tool is it in our enemy's hands when judgmental, hateful, self-righteous Christians drive people away from our churches, drive people away from Christ, even for church people, right? Church people driven away from church forever or for years and years because they didn't see this kind of unity, this kind of love within the church body. How powerfully does our enemy use this to drive people away? Just such deception about what the church really is and what it's meant to be. And so we've talked about this a lot in this series, actually, because Jesus comes back to it again and again. So I want to just mainly leave you with this thought. We, the church, are God's chosen people to take his gospel to the world, right? For whatever reason, he chose, he chose screw-ups like you and me to be his hands and feet to the world, to, to take his gospel to people, to speak his truth. It's through people like just like you and me that people hear the gospel and believe. But here's the thing. It seems to me... That what Jesus is saying here, what Jesus is praying here, is that how we love each other within the church is almost as powerful evangelism tool as how we share the gospel outside the church. Did you hear that? Have you ever thought about it that way? That how we love and how we're united 
and how perfectly one we are within the church is just as powerful a tool for evangelism as how we share the gospel of Jesus Christ outside the church. You can't have one without the other. Don't ever believe the lie. Well, if it's that important, we just need to focus on us all the time. No, we've got to take the gospel and go. But also don't think, wait, man, we just need to go all the time, share the gospel all the time. No, we've got to be healthy right here because both of these things declare to the world who Jesus Christ is. They declare his goodness and his love and his grace and his mercy. We must love each other if we're really going to show the world the, the world who Jesus Christ is. It is through us that they will, know, they will know his great love, through us in here and how we share the gospel and his love out there. What do you think would be more attractive to some just lost, seeking soul? Not just some random person that just loves their sin too much, but someone who's seeking something. What do you think would be more attractive to some lost, seeking soul out there than to see a community that loved each other so supernaturally well that they couldn't help but encounter the love of Christ? Because in the end, isn't that what we're after? Isn't that what we long for? We long for people to experience the love of Christ in here every Sunday as a family to experience the love of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want for people out there, to experience the love of Jesus Christ. And our unity with God and with each other declares the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is praying that his Father would sanctify us, would set us apart as his disciples so that they might be sent into the world as he was sent into the world, so that they may be one with the Father, one with the Son, and perfectly one with each other, and so that through loving unity, the world might come to know Jesus and the great, great love the Father has for them. And that is a powerful thing, church. That is something to pray about and think about and dwell on and abide in Christ in because unity in a church of people who are all so different is extremely difficult, but in Christ it is possible. And it's already 11.15, so I'm going to close out with verse 24 through 26 quickly. I'm going to close out with Jesus' last words at the end of his last prayer that we get to read in his last moments with his disciples, and I just love it. You're going to see why in a second. John 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, it's the first time I ever remember Jesus communicating that way. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know you that, that, that you have sent, sent me. I made known to, them, known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me Maybe in them and I in them. Do you know why I love this so much? Because this is just Jesus just declaring how much he loves you, how much he loves his disciples, how much he loves you. Listen, Jesus is saying there, Father, I mean, I wish they could be with me. I wish they could be with me in heaven. I wish they could go where I'm going to go so they could see my glory. And when he says my glory, so they could see my goodness and they could see my love and they could see my pleasures and they could see who they really are in me and so they might understand the depth of your love for them and my love for them. Jesus wants you to be with him so that you can know just how good you have it in him. You know what it reminds me of? I may be totally off, right? So take this one with a grain of salt. Right? Take this one with a grain of salt. But what, you know what I picture here as Jesus is saying this? I picture a, an older brother. 
We're described as brothers and sisters of Christ, right? I picture an older brother who's got a much younger brother. I've done this with Jack before. That is just so excited for him to get old enough to see something for the first time, to have an experience. Have you ever done that, fathers or older brothers? You just can't wait for your younger brother, your younger son, to get old enough to experience this thing. And then that day finally comes, and you get to show him to him, and you're just like, like you're just, that older brother's just so excited. Like, come on, you're, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to even understand this. I cannot wait for you to see this. He's just anticipating the joy that's going to light up on his younger brother's face when he finally knows, when he finally gets to see this thing. He's been waiting years for him to see. This is how I picture Jesus in this moment. He's just dying for you to know how much he loves you. He's just dying for you to know that by, by seeking and knowing his glory, you'll know what goodness is. You'll know what holiness is. You'll know what love is. You'll know what pleasures really are. You'll know that this world is just a pale reflection of all those things, but there is something promised you forevermore that is so good. But here he's saying, but I know they still have a mission. I still know that you need them to serve your kingdom and spread the gospel. So, Father, I'm going to keep showing them to you. I've shown them to you, and I'm going to keep showing them to you. Do you, do you hear why he said why? So they might know how much you love them and that I'll always be in them. What a beautiful way to finish that prayer. Jesus desperately wants you to know how much he loves you. Church, we have been set apart Believer, you have been set apart. You have been set apart to bear the fruit of the kingdom. You have been set apart to reflect his glory to the world. You have been set apart to not be of the world, but still be sent to the world. You have been set apart so that you might be one and you have been set apart. So through that oneness, that oneness with the Father and the Son and that oneness with each other, we might declare his gospel, his glory, his goodness, his love to the world. What if we took this seriously, church? What if we all really took seriously that, man, I can have this kind of relationship with Christ and he wants to bear all of this fruit and do all of these things through me and not only through me and not only grow me and not only use me to change my church family and to grow my church family and to give this kind of unity that, that the world can't help but be attracted to, but also through this kind of love and by abiding in him that I can be used to advance the gospel by just sitting down with a 65-year-old lady and be open to a conversation because I love Jesus so much and because his love's in me. I love her so much even though I just met her. That's how God wants to use you. And that's what God wants to do in your life. Grow his joy and his love by abiding in him. And then you will start to become more gentle and kind and patient and forgiving and bound together. And you'll seek to reconcile and you'll seek to forgive and you'll seek to give people the benefit of the doubt. And you'll even go to people who don't deserve it, could never earn it, but you're mature enough and you've been abiding in Christ enough to be like, I don't care if it's their fault. I'm going because it's my brother and sister in Christ and they need someone to love them right now. And I can see their spiritual immaturity. And I can see it because I've been abiding in Christ, so I'm going to go love them despite it all. Because they need someone to love them right now and say, I love you, I forgive you, let's move forward together. This is what God, Christ wants for his church. This is who we can be, church, because it seems impossible, but Christ does the impossible. Will we join him in that work? Man, church, I pray that we will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what unbelievable truths that you share with us. Father, thank you for giving your only son 
so that we might be sanctified, we might be set apart, we might be called your children, and we might have these good things waiting for us someday with you in heaven. Jesus, thank you for coming to the world, coming and obeying your Father, but not only that, willingly giving yourself on the cross, though we might be changed, though we might be forgiven and renewed and our old sins washed away and created something new in you. God, thank you for your church, as messy as it can be. What else teaches us? What else than maybe our marriages teaches us as much grace and mercy and patience and gentleness and kindness and all of the things that you talk about more than the church family? You gave us this, God, thank you for giving us the church family to teach us about you. And so, Holy Spirit, we're just asking you, you are called the helper for good reason. We are asking for help. Help us to learn. Help us to see what it means to abide in you to abide in Christ as he abides in the Father. God, teach us what it means to be one. God, help, help us to make Freshwater a place where we are bound together in our unity and our love. And not, not only that we'd have it here, but that that love would spread to Telmonkin's neighborhood. That that love would spread to our city. That that love would spread to our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our families. And people couldn't help but notice that something is different about freshwater, not because freshwater is good, but because you are so good to us. God, I pray for transformed lives and for us to really understand what it means to abide in you. Help us, Jesus. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, I love you. I'm so thankful to be your pastor. I'm so thankful. So unbelievably thankful to be able to do this and to be gathered as a family. If you need prayer, I'll be over there. I think Tony's over there. There'll probably be a couple other people join us. We would love to pray with you about whatever. Um, prayer is a powerful thing. And so if you need prayer, come pray with us. Otherwise, why don't you stand and let's worship God in song.